Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Utah podcast. My name is Matt Linton, and today I'm once again recording from beautiful Bear Lake, located on the Utah-Idaho border. I'm very excited for today's show. It's a little bit different because we aren't just focusing on a single destination. We are speaking with a guest that is going to share some helpful and inspiring information from all over the state of Utah. And remember to stay tuned till the end of the show where we will share some interesting fun facts about today's discussion. My name is Matt Linton, and I'm a filmmaker. Since 2007, I have shot and produced promotional videos for the travel and tourism industry all over the state of Utah. Over those years, I've learned that the more I explore the incredible destinations that this state has to offer, the more I recognize that I haven't even scratched the surface. There is so much more to do and see here than people realize. The Travel Utah podcast was created to shed some light on the endless array of amazing things there are to explore in this incredible state and to help you plan your next adventure. So come with me and let's travel Utah. I am so excited to speak with my guest today about the various experiences he has had over the many, many years exploring the outdoors within the state of Utah. He spent 25 years at the Salt Lake Tribune in several different positions, including outdoor editor and columnist, an environmental reporter and sports reporter, including time covering international travel and men's and women's hockey during the 2002 Winter Olympics that were held here in Salt Lake City. In June of 2015, he left the newspaper to join Trout Unlimited as Intermountain Communications Director over Utah, Nevada, Idaho, and Wyoming. He's now working as the Communications Director for Trout Unlimited Science, Western Water and Habitat, and Headwaters Youth Initiative programs. He's won two Emmy Awards for his work as producer, editor, and host of the Utah Bucket List, which aired on KUED, the local PBS station here in Utah. He's also been a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America since 1992 and is a past president of the organization. And over those years, he's collected more than 30 awards from their annual Excellence in Craft Contest. He also serves as the president of the Executive Board for Real Recovery, a national nonprofit which provides free fly fishing retreats for men diagnosed with cancer. He's authored three books, including Fishing Utah, Best Day Hikes in Capitol Reef National Park, and Hiking Utah's High Uinas. He currently lives in Salt Lake City, Utah with his wife, Brooke, and three children, William, Lucy, and Owen. So today I'd like to welcome to the Travel Utah podcast, Brett Prettyman. Brett, thank you so much for coming on and joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm trying to figure out who you were talking about, though. I, I can't believe that it, all those numbers add up to that many. But I'm, I'm always excited to uh, talk about Utah, and, and um, I, it's just a, a special thing that I've always wanted to share all the amazing places that you know Utah offers and get people outdoors and with their family and friends to you know create lifelong memories. So exactly. yeah, I'm really I'm excited to be here. Good, good. Glad to have you. So I, yeah, so after that introduction, I mean, where do we even start? That's a, that's a long list of stuff for us to, to try to cover in the next little bit. So obviously reading through your bio and your professional career, you have a great love and passion for the outdoors. Tell me about growing up and your experiences. What sparked that interest that led you where you are today? That's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I, I grew up in the Salt Lake Valley, um, and it was, you know, kind of early fishing trips with my dad, um, specifically up American Fort Canyon that kind of really just got me to, um, 
you know, to crave to do that more. And, uh, and it was, it was the place, but it was, it was the experience too. uh, spending time. My dad worked really hard and, and we didn't get to see him a lot when I was young. Um, uh, and the most quality time I got to spend with, with him was, you know, fishing or camping, uh, you know, uh, when we went on those trips and there was just something that I really cherished about that escape and that the outdoors have continued to provide that for me. I had a best friend in high school who, you know, felt the same way and we camped and fished and hunted our way, um, you know, through high school together basically. And, um, we're still friends today. I still love to get out and, and do that stuff together. And, um, I just, I also grew up being a big fan of uh, uh, Tom Wharton, who was the outdoors editor at Salt Lake Tribune when mm-hmm. I was growing up and, and uh, who became a mentor and a, a dear friend to me along the way. And um, But as a kid, uh, my mom used to joke that she got the paper. Uh, she thought about dropping the subscription a couple of times, but she said that I was the only one that read it. And <laughs> I read it mostly for Tom. Um, and I have a scrapbook that I actually kept as a kid that would cut out really? some of his story. Yeah. His stories. And, um, so when I was a student at the university of Utah, uh, in the communications department, I had to do a working internship and I, I reached out to Tom to see if I could, could, uh, do it underneath him at the Tribune. Uh, that didn't work out specifically as I had asked, but it ended up working out cause I ended up getting a job and Tom took me under his wings. So oh, uh, awesome. that was, yeah. So that was, um, uh, you know, Tom and my dad, uh, and, and my, you know, my good friends, uh, especially my best friend in high school really had a lot to do with, with where I ended up and, and how I got there. So cool. So, so you're a writer, you wrote for the Tribune for 25 years. So, and it sounds like that was, that was a passion. That was something that you found pretty early on. Did you know from a young age that you wanted to be a writer? And when did that click that you could write about (laughs) your love for the outdoors? When did those two things first collide for you? Oh, that's a, that's another great question. I, I, um, I never really considered myself a writer. Uh, in in high school, I, I was part of the creative writing program. I put out the literary magazine that that my high school did, um, but I didn't really fancy myself as a writer. Uh, I, I guess I I was more interested in the wildlife side of things. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I started to think about college, I uh, wanted to pursue wildlife biology. And when I started looking at things um, and realized that I'd have to leave Salt Lake and that there was probably more math involved in, in wildlife biology than I thought there <laughs> should be, um, I kind of backtracked a little bit and decided to stay in Salt Lake and figured that if I couldn't um, become a wildlife biologist that I'd write about them. And right. so I started to kind of pursue that angle. And that's where I then thought, oh, I, maybe I'll talk to Tom and, you know, and we can figure some things out. Um, and as it turned out, it, you know, that's, that's what happened. And, and I'm, I'm still doing it today. Uh, I, I really enjoy learning about wildlife and um, learning about special places and, and cool environments and, uh, you know, trying to share the word on those amazing things. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, I still have that curiosity about wildlife and seeing all the amazing things that uh, we do to 
to try to help them survive and in this world and uh it's it's been a it's it's gone better than i had hoped let's say that's that's awesome you know i had a as you described your experience growing up in school, I, English and writing were something that never, I never did well in an English class growing up. That was never something <laughs> that I would have foreseen in the future that I would be involved in. But with, you know, owning a video production company, I'm kind of a one man band. I write scripts and voiceovers and I'm constantly writing stuff and it's become part of my profession. That's something that I never, ever would have, if you would have told me that when I was 15 or 16 and my sophomore English class, I'd, <laughs> I would have laughed a yeah. little bit about, about that. It's, it's interesting how your, your career takes shape through your experiences and through the evolution of your interests and experiences and people you come to know. And yeah, just yeah, like you it, described here. It sure is interesting. And it's also, I feel really lucky that I landed in a, a you know position that allowed me to really explore my my curiosities and my interests and, and my passions and um the other part that's really great about it is the um the lifestyle that it grants me to live with my family and take right. them on these adventures and expose them to to these kinds of things my 11 year old son is super into wildlife and um just loves to hear about these things and and see these things and every once in a while i'll pull a story or a video out that i did years ago and he's just you know sits there with his mouth open amazed and i just <laughs> love that i can relive that with him and and hope that i can help you know direct him into a uh, a career that he loves so much too yeah and that that's one of the things that i love about what i do as well is because it creates these opportunities to do things you never uh, otherwise never would have had a chance to do and especially to allow your family to do that with you and have your kids experience that. That's one of my absolute favorite things about going out and filming these locations and things. So I think most, yeah. most people would look at your job and your career and think that's, that's my dream job. That's what I would love to do. <laughs> I just want to travel. I want to write about it. In fact, with social media platforms nowadays, some people just decide to do that. They quit their sure. full-time job and go out and start traveling the world and vlog about it. And, you know, yep. so, but you were doing this long before social media was a thing. You were, <laughs> you were doing this type of thing. You were traveling for, um, the Tribune experiencing all these different things and writing about it. I mean, tell me about that time in your career and some of the experiences that you had. Oh man. Um, it was, it was, um, surreal you know you use that word uh, a lot it's probably over years but for me it really was kind of just stunning sometimes to realize where i was and um it, it wasn't only the outdoors that that the you know the tribune really allowed me to you know spread my wings quite literally and um travel across the world i ended up covering hockey when i was at the salt lake tribune as well yeah, um yeah. and i covered the local team here but then of course we landed the the Olympics, and as part of that, I prepared, um, you know, by covering the hockey team more and more here, um, traveling on the road with them for 20-day spans all across um, North America, um, Canada, and, and the U.S., and, um, you know, learning more about hockey and, and covering that team. And then as the Olympics approached, you know, I started going to the World Hockey Championships, mm -hmm. and women's and men's, and suddenly, you know, my job is sending me to Germany and Norway and um, it was, it was in Canada, you know, it was, it, it, I'd never imagined that when I took that job 
at the Tribune that I would end up, you know, covering hockey and right. sitting at a restaurant with Wayne Gretzky in Germany. You know, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And, and, and that was really, that was the super unexpected part of it. When I started at the Tribune, I knew I, what I wanted to do as an outdoors writer. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, that being said, it was a magical mystery trip. Really. I mean, uh, right. I, I ended up, you know, um, uh, helping, uh, round up uh, what we called pronghorn mugging down in southern Utah several times where helicopters drove pronghorn into these enclosures and we, we basically tackled them so that we could tag them and check them for a disease and send them off to destinations around the country and right. even to Mexico. Um, that that was pretty rewarding. That was something that, you know, that's what wildlife biologists did. And I got to do it because I covered it. And right. uh that was, you know, that kind of stuff was really amazing. I watched, you know, um, these, uh, uh, well, it's the, the, they, they did some roundup stuff with helicopter a lot. And there were these guys that came from New Zealand that would work on red stag farms. It really landed in the U S in a great time because, um, wildlife biologists and states were seeking better and more efficient ways to, you know, um, relocate. Um, wildlife especially big game and those guys were busy 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 um in the west for mm -hmm. many years from the kind of mid 90s until well they, they still kind of do it but it's it's more the state does it now but but you know i watch guys jump out of helicopters and jump on a moose back and you know <laughs> um in wyoming and and this these just kind of things that i never would have imagined um <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, so it's probably it's, super it's, scary. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. You know, the, there was really deep snow at the time, and they they had nets, but um, the, the snow was deep, and the the moose were not, you know, afraid, basically. So they were able to jump and and deal with them pretty quickly. It was it was more um, efficient than trying to untangle them and everything after they had shot a net on them and stuff. So, so they just did it. And that's what they wow. had done in, in New Zealand with the red stag. So it was nothing to them, but it was sure something to watch. Uh, you know, there's, you know, crawling into bear dens and the, in the winter was another thing that I really kind of never imagined that I would do, um, you know, to, for the division to be able to, you know, document how many cubs are born, um, and their health, um, you know, how the health of the mother, that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, going, um, on research trips with, um, horses and hounds in the winter to, to track mountain lions and, um, to be able to see a mountain lion in the wild. I'd seen one once as a kid, um, for a fleeting second and to be able to, you know, track, a mountain lion and, and see it treed and then have the tranquilize it and replace the radio collar on it for research was wow that was you know <laughs> that's what being a wildlife biologist was about is right. when i was growing up thinking about it and here i was doing it and uh, i just was really uh, thankful for that opportunity to have that connection with wildlife that i'd always dreamt of as a kid so cool so I, I say this over and over again, I, you know, going back to the, you know, traveling around and some of these experiences that you're already describing, but no matter how much you explore, there's always, always more, there's always something more to discover that you had no idea 
even existed. And during your time at the Tribune and doing all these things that you did, what were some of the places that stuck out to you and surprised you the most that you previously knew nothing about? Oh, that, that's, um, that's interesting. I, I, I totally agree with you um, that, you know, this idea that you can go to the same place and it's different um, is really compelling. Uh, you know, the, the, the scenery is different. The experience is different. The people you're with is different. Where you are in your life is different. You look at it differently. It's like rereading a book that you read in right. high school or college. It's, you get a different feeling from it when you read it later. Yep. Uh, it's the same thing with these places. You go and um, they mean something different when you're there again. Uh, and that's, you know, this, there's this, you know, you, you hear this constant debate about, well, you know, we want to have a, co- a cabin or, you know, we, we have a favorite place we like to go all the time. And there's always the argument like, you know, why go to the same place, you know, and you feel obligated to keep going to a cabin if you have a cabin and you, it keeps you from going to experience other places. Um, and I, it's an argument that I've never been able to, um, decide on <laughs> like <laughs> like i'd love to have a cabin in my favorite place but at the same time i love to explore and, and see many places like you mentioned and um th- having the job at the tribune was really an opportunity for me to see those places and explore those things and you know i i had not really traveled to southern utah like as a destination i drove through it a couple times as a kid my family was from price so i did spend a little bit of time around there but i didn't really get to like you know moab and and um capital reef and you know even saint george and zion until i was in my early 20s and because my family always headed north um when we went on trips we stuck around the salt lake area went to the UNS went to Yellowstone, went to the Tetons, went to, we went North. So, you know, we went to Idaho and, uh, you know, Henry's Fork and, um, you know, so, yeah. So it was, I, I worked with, um, a guy, uh, who, who was my boss and he always talked about Boulder mountain, um, in Utah. And I always, I, I, I couldn't imagine what the desert could give me that, that, uh, you know, the mountains didn't. And he, he finally taught me and going down there with him. I, I think I was 19 at the time. And wow, I was, um, I, I immediately started calling it the winners of the, you know, of the South. Um, uh, and th- the mountain landscape was exactly what I had wanted, but then we also would go down into the desert and explore and, and, uh, and I really came to appreciate the desert more and more. Um, it was, uh, it was a gradual thing, but I really cherish that time in the desert now. Um, there's something that I get out of there that I don't get from the mountains, and it's different, and that's good. I like that a lot. So finding southern Utah um, and all the different mountain and desert opportunities there was really um, something that happened um, kind of later in my teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hadn't really, you know, I mean, I started at the Tribune when I was 21. Uh, barely 21 and um it was it was uh you know i had so that gave me a chance to really explore it more and and seeing experiencing the big rivers of utah was something that i really really cherished too mm-hmm. the green and the, the colorado and getting out on those and going on those river trips and getting away from everything uh you know at the time there weren't um cell phones and 
and you know laptops and stuff to to tie, you know to that we were tied to so much so but it was still an opportunity to get away and and right. and now now with that other with those devices i i appreciate that even more um getting away for those longer trips where you really can step outside of it and i've talked to many people about their experiences in the outdoors and and a lot of them agree that it really takes almost two full days to really become disconnected where you're kind of like, you don't care what the news is. You don't care exactly. about your, your bills. You It takes a while for that to settle in because you realize, all right, I've, I'm two days into this trip and I've got two or three more days. Um, that could be a backpacking trip. It could be a river trip. It could be whatever. But it takes that amount of time to really get to the point where you release of all of your obligations and you really just experience where you are and, and what you're doing. Right. Um, and you look at it different. You don't have that that distraction of life. <laughs> you're in the moment. And and, per- and that's yeah. Personally, I and I dread the end of those trips because you have to go back and you've got 655 emails you've got to go through. And yeah. <laughs> that's... The, the yeah. thing you're trying to escape in that. And ironic that you mentioned uh, Boulder Mountain. I'm heading down there in about a week and a half, two, two weeks from now, um, for a fishing trip at Lower Bounds uh, oh, sweet. With, with my brother-in-law and some friends of his. We've done that every year in June. And um, that's he, he takes his clients there, and it's just a you know, two-, three-day trip down there camping and, and fishing. It's such a beautiful area. In fact, we're going to be recording an episode of the podcast while we're down there. Well, um, that's, that's so. powerful. Uh, it's ironic as well, because that's where I went when I went with my friend for my first trip to Boulder Mountain. Oh, really? We, camp, we camped at Lower Bounds, and we fished, and uh, we met a, a guy, and I can't remember his name right now, that my my friend, my boss, knew from years of going down there and, and just running into this guy. And this guy would spend basically from mid-May until um, mid-October on boulder mountains just Mm -hmm. driving around he was older um and we went to talk to him i think his name was kent i can't remember his last name but we went over and we're talking to him and which was even more amazing to me that he was down there by himself uh he was probably in his 80s at that time and this was you know quite a while ago but um yeah the uh we were talking to him and i looked he had this really great truck and there was these big giant scratch marks on the hood and i'm like what the heck is that you know and he said oh that i just got those last night and i'm like what and he said oh yeah a bear came and set my fish on the on the hood after i was fishing last night and i went to bed and i came back and the fish were gone and marks were there (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's kind of funny that that's the same place that that uh uh, I was that you bring it up. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never experienced a place where I've had um, such a experience of fishing. And it, you hear people talk about, you know, I caught, I caught a fish on every cast, and that is one of those places. It, it, not every mm-hmm. year. The first year I went there, though, I mean, it was unreal how many fish we caught. It just, it's, it, it's, it's a small little reservoir. It's not very big. Right, but man, it's the surroundings are beautiful. You got oh, the, yeah. um, the scenic byway, um, Highway Twelve, going by there, yep. um, and yeah, it's just it's such an incredible area. Um, it sure is. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to that in the next couple yep. weeks. 
So good for you. Based based on your current job and the things that you're involved in, it's obvious that fishing, as we've talked about, is one of the things that you're most passionate about. If you were to talk to someone who loves to fish but hasn't had the opportunity to really go anywhere too far around the state, where would you tell them that they absolutely need to go? Um, I, I qualify that a lot by what they're after and their experience. Um, or do they want to take the kids out and, you know, get them to have a great first experience? Um, do they want to catch big fish? Mm-hmm. Do they want to fly fish? Do they want to bait fish? Do they want to spend the night? All I mean, there's a lot of things that really kind of, I try to, you know, gauge because I want them to get the most out of their trip. I don't, I don't want to send them to do something, you know, like, you know, you go to catch a big fish, you're not going to catch as many likely as, as you would if you were catching smaller fish. Um, so it kind of depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I typically would really encourage people to the high mountain lakes in the summer or just, you really just can't beat that. You know, um, there's some experiences that happen in those places that are just unique um and uh they're great opportunities for families to get out and for a day trip for a weekend for a week um camping on in a developed campground to you know um hiking into the backcountry and spending a couple nights in the backcountry uh and and fishing there there's there's that so the uns are kind of the place that i really you know try to like because people often want to go go for a bit, but not too far, and you right. know they they you know so and the UN is are a perfect um, opportunity for that. You know, yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of mountain ranges around Utah that people don't realize have other fisheries like that, like we just talked about with Boulder Mountain. Um, right. You know, so so there's I, I encourage people to you know escape the heat, head to the high country. Um, kids love, love it. Salamanders, frogs, you know, there's just a lot going on. Chance to see, you know, uh, moose and deer and elk and, you know, uh, mountain goats, you know, there's, it's just a, a really high level quality experience uh, right. that I, that's really good family experience. If you're more focused on, you know, uh, really like trying to, you know, catch bigger fish on bigger water. The Green River is is a is kind of a must. Um, in my book, it's I I consider it my home river, even though it's a long ways away. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's it's just where I really find a lot of peace and uh, just really just a lot of great memories with friends and family and uh, stories that I've done there and. And it just continues to be a special place to me. And one of the most beautiful locations on earth. If you've yeah. never been to the Green River, man yeah. alive, that, that place, that river is so clear and the canyon walls around it. Oh, man, I, I, have, I haven't been able to, to fly fish there and I really want to, to do that. I've gone down the river a couple of times. I've been in the area, but I have never fly fished. And I, that's speaking of bucket list, that is one of my things I need to go do. And that, we'll talk about that in a little bit about... Well, it was on my bucket list, and uh, we we did film a, a episode there, and and I wrote some stories about it. But yeah, so and people always ask me like, oh, I'm going to go to the green. What should I do? And they, I mean, they're asking me for techniques and flies and places and you know time of year and everything. And I just tell them, 
number one thing you need to do is look up when you go there. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause it's amazing. And too often, and part of the reason why I love fly fishing so much is because you have to be so focused mm-hmm. and that, that, that helps you escape that grind that we were talking about because you're so focused on what's happening in the moment. You're focused on the water. You're focused on the fly. You're focused on any movement. You watch for fish to come up. You see the fish hit. I mean, it's just, you have to be so in that moment. That's one of the reasons I love it so much. And, um, Unfortunately, in the case of beautiful places where the saying is, uh, you know, trout live in beautiful places is is accurate. And if you're so engaged in the fishing, you don't look up, man, you're missing a world of um, wonder. It's yeah, it's uh, so I always tell people that look up when you're doing it. And that that's that's a standard rule that you should do everywhere. I think people um, we get too focused on things like our devices and, and it's easy to do the same kind of thing when you're in the mountains. You get too focused on um, the trail or or the fishing, and you don't look around, and you might miss a moose, you might miss a deer, yep. um, you might miss a, a rainbow, you might miss you know just a beautiful sunrise or sunset. There's there it's you gotta keep your eyes open to what the amazing things that are around us, and you know the Utah landscape is is set in many ways right and you see it and it doesn't change but like we said earlier the experience changes the the sunlight changes the um your, where you are in life changes too so yep. there's there's uh there's a lot of reasons to to look up and, and get a let the landscape kind of you know soothe you and and amaze you at the same time and i think that's really important with kids especially if you're traveling with kids whether it's a hike whether you're fishing whether you're on a drive um, I, I feel like we have this need, this sense of we have to keep our kids entertained all the time. And I've made a special focus. I want to encourage my kids as we're driving places, as we travel up to Bear Lake or as we travel to um, southern Utah, wherever it is we're going, I want them to look around and experience yeah. what's going on around them, just even from just the car. And I feel like that's been a benefit to my kids that, one, I feel like they they have a pretty good grasp of of navigation they kind of know where things are in relationship to one another because they spend more time looking up and seeing what's around them but you you experience the world in a whole different way and i think that's something that's been kind of lost with as exactly like you just said with technology and things now we do our attention spans are so short we're constantly trying to do something that's entertaining us if you have to stand in a room or stand in a line for more than 10 seconds people immediately pull their phone out to for no specific reason other than right. that's just something to keep me entertained and I've got yeah. this need to pull that out, but yeah. Um, habit. Yeah. And, and being out in nature and being out in these places where you don't have that option because your phone won't do anything for you. Like when you go to the lower bounds, there is zero, zero self-service. I mean, there's nothing there. So you, right. you have no, no choice. If you're going to go fishing, you're committed to that. And, and you're, you're, That's right. you're going to be committed to, to experiencing the, your, the outdoors and the <laughs> surroundings and the views and the, right. the sensations of, of the wind and the smells of the pine trees. And you don't, you miss so much of that. And I, and I kind of compare it to if, you know, if you ever do, if you just drive around your streets on a day-to-day basis and then you walk those same streets, you discover mm-hmm. things that you had no idea were even there. You walk past a lot and you're like, I never even noticed this lot was here. I didn't notice these trees right. because you drive past it so if, fast. Yeah. Or even if you're the passenger in the car instead of the driver, you know, yeah. I, I notice things when I'm riding around 
um, quite a bit more. I mean, there's, there is that navigation thing that happens when you're a driver and you, you know where you are and you're, but you're very in the moment of driving. You have to be, you're, you have yeah. to be safe and, and focused. And so, and I notice things when I'm driving, my family's always like, how did you spot that deer when you're driving? You know, that's so far away. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, but, but when I'm, you know, riding in a car, I noticed, you know, a lot of things like you just said you're in the neighborhood that, oh, hey, when, when, when did that happen? You know, type yeah. of thing. It's funny you say that about the um, about the phones and devices and stuff. And one of my favorite scenes through the whole two um, series of the Utah bucket list was on Cataract Canyon on the Colorado. And one day we just thought we'd have some fun. And so I uh, I had my phone with me, which I regret, you know. Uh, stupid um but i had it with me and and i thought i'm like you know and i because i kind of got to this point where we were just talking about we're like it didn't matter anymore and it didn't work either so that we did this scene where i like pulled my phone out and i'm looking at it i'm like you know this doesn't work and i really don't need it here and i don't like it anymore either and i just kind of like grabbed it and i like skipped it across the river <laughs> and it sunk into this like of course there was some creative editing that you know i i pretended like i was going to throw the phone and then i threw a rock and it skipped and it looked like the phone um but but it was fun and it was it was kind of like me saying you know it was kind of like technology you'll go away for a while you know um yeah. and i think that we all kind of feel that and in the outdoors is the answer you know um to me to me personally i i say that and i know it may not be for everybody but i think that if more people had the opportunity to be to you know to experience things younger uh, as they grow older to they 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 seek that experience more and it gives them more and i think people who don't have that opportunity to learn to you know, not just feel comfortable in the landscape, which was so important, but to love it, you know, is, is, you know, the, the confidence thing, you know, people are like, Oh, I'm, I'm scared, you know, of, of going out and camping and, and that, and, and, you know, yeah, there's things you should be aware of. And, 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 you know, I'm certainly one of them who has a couple of things that really make me nervous when I'm camping, but you know what, it's, it's worth it. And, and the benefits are way, way more valuable than you know not doing them yeah you and you mentioned going up in the high UN. It's my experience growing up and, and learning how to fish i my my mom's uh, brother my uncle was the one that really exposed me to fishing and i went camping with him and we that's where i got my experience fishing was up in the high UN as we'd go up to mirror lake and butterfly butterfly lake up there and you know, it wasn't ever too extreme. We didn't do any backpacking or anything. We would just go to these small little lakes up there. And, you know, the memories that I have, again, talking about this because there weren't cell phones and stuff there. I remember driving up those canyons and just looking at all mm-hmm. of the lakes as you drive up. It's, yeah. You know, that's a that's a special place for me. And I've got a lot of history and a lot of memories up in that area that I wouldn't trade for anything. So, well, and that's the wonder of it. Yeah. I let's I'm going to take a quick break for our sponsors really quick. We'll uh, we'll come right back and continue our discussion with Brett. The Travel Utah podcast is brought to you today by Merlin Films. Since 2014, Merlin Films has been creating beautiful, entertaining and engaging marketing and promotional videos for the travel and tourism industry. 
focusing on family fun destinations. Merlin Films wants to help spread the word about the cities, counties, resorts, and can't-miss outdoor adventures that are out there waiting to be explored. Whether you're here in the state of Utah or somewhere beyond, let Merlin Films help you show the world what you have to offer. You can find out more about Merlin Films by visiting MerlinFilmsUSA.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Travel Utah podcast. My guest today is Brett Prettyman. Um, we were talking, you know, just before the break about uh, fishing. And that's, you know, you've got a lot of experience and history and, and passion and love for fishing. Apart from fishing, what are the things that you most enjoy doing in the outdoors? Um, you know, I, uh, anything is the answer. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say anything, but, but you know what I mean? Um, I, there's, there's, um, uh, my family, uh, we love to travel and we typically hinge, uh, uh our vacations and our, you know, weekend getaways, um, on either two things, our kids sporting events or, the outdoors and specifically mostly kind of national park experiences when mm -hmm. we've gone on um you know my kids are involved in in track on a on a at a pretty high level and and when we go to destinations around the country for these meets in the summer we always try to tag on you know let's get another amazing national park crossed off of our list and um that's been really uh thing for us is to experience these special places uh so yeah utah's got amazing national parks uh, everybody knows that or everybody should know that and everybody should experience that um and they definitely rank among the best in the country there's zero doubt and yeah. and i feel somewhat qualified to say that because i've experienced quite a few of the national parks now and and i i, I really uh, each one provides something special uh lots of something specials in many cases uh and but utahs are wow um super hard to beat and i'm a little biased of course but um but the number of people who reach out to me and ask me for questions or you know friends that come from other states other countries to visit utah um tell me how amazing our place is and we need to appreciate that more and more it, it, there's one yeah go ahead no you go ahead you, you finish your well your i was there. just gonna say one and one thing that i thought of while we were talking is that i have a good friend that lives in jackson wyoming and he i was with him one day and we were heading up to the river and we came around the bend out of jackson hole and the tetons were there and that that always takes my breath away when you come around that yeah. corner it's just like wow yeah. you know and i'm sitting there raving about it and how cool it is and he looks at me he goes he goes you know utah's got some pretty amazing stuff too and you've got the wasatch front right there in salt lake don't you ever look at it <laughs> and i was like Dude, it's totally he's, true. He's so right. He's so right. And it's this thing that we take it for granted. And, um, you know, he, he's like, I come around that corner when I come down from Jackson and, and I see the T or the, you know, the Wasatch and I just, it, it, it's to me, it's as, it's as compelling as the Tetons. And I just, you know, and it, it makes me realize that, you know, even though I know so much about the Utah landscape and I love it so much, sometimes I take it for granted too. Totally. And, and uh, I need to appreciate it even more than I do already. And it took a good friend telling me the Tetons, eh, you know, compared to our Wasatch. And he's right. 
It's it's so true. In fact, a couple episodes ago, I was talking. I um, interviewed some people from the tourism board in Millard County, and we talked about the fact that. I think a lot of people outside of the state of Utah and even outside of the country in some cases know a lot more about Utah than a lot of people inside <laughs> Utah know. Because when they come on vacations, especially Europeans come on long vacations. I mean, they're not here for a few days. They're here for right. weeks or months um, during their entire summer. And they do a ton of research before they come to find these places that they want to go visit. And so in a lot of cases, sure you know, you're you're you'll be on some random hike that you're like, Oh, I'm, I, I found this really cool secret hike that nobody knows about. And you, you come across people from Germany and England and <laughs> France and stuff. And, and you're from an hour and a half away. They're right. from across the world and, and they knew about this stuff. I, I think it's interesting that, and it, that's probably the case, no matter where you live, you probably, there's some degree of taking for granted what's around you because you see it all the Absolutely. time or you experience mm-hmm. it all the time or you hear about it all the time. And it, you know, it's kind of, but there are so many things here that this this state is so diverse in its climate and the terrain. Um, I, I often tell people that we have everything in Utah other than the ocean. You know, I mean, you've got these these high mountains, you've got the desert, you've got the Great Salt Lake, you've got the Red Rock, you've got just beautiful forests and sand dunes. And I mean, you can go on and on and on about all these different locations that are so different from one another within the same state. Absolutely. Well put. And the thing that, that I, you you mentioned that we take it for granted. And and one of the things that I, I wrote about many times through the years was, you know, where do we live? Well, Salt Lake City. Well, why do we have that name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's this thing called the Great Salt Lake right here. Yeah. And if you look at, at it from space, it shows up. You know, I mean, like yeah. people come to Utah because they see the Great Salt Lake and they're like, wow, the city's named after it. It must be pretty important. Right. <laughs> so it is important. And um, I, I people often uh, will come. And I, I used to be one of these people that people would come and, and they'd say, I want to go see the great salt lake. And I'm like, why, you know, <laughs> it stinks, you know, it's, you know, and all this. And, but, but that was me having, you know, growing up that kind of sulfury smell that we get when the wind blows in the late summer, you know, and just and the, the, right the, the brine fly. Yeah. The brine flies. And, you know, and then there's the, you know, the no seams in the summer out on Antelope Island, but you know what? Um, it is an amazing place. And I've had some just amazingly powerful experiences out on the Great Salt Lake and, and the surrounding environments. And, and you know, waiting with uh, a friend from Germany and netting brine shrimp was uh, he, the way he talked about it. He loved it. He told me it reminded him of of you know growing up in northern germany and going out in the flats during low tide and i would and so he said i'm going to take you where i do this and and when i went to visit him in germany we did it and it was this really strong connective awesome. bond that happened because i i did i listened to him and i said yeah let's go check out the great salt lake you want to see it let's go and we did and um you know so and that leads to you know kind of where you know uh, the great salt lake and and antelope island and the other islands should be on people's bucket list um i you know that i i included um the bison roundup on antelope island as one of the bucket list items for the series 
And that is an experience that is so uniquely Utah. And there's one other place like in the country that where the public can participate in a bison roundup. It's like Custer state park in South Dakota. I can't remember the exact Uh name, but, but you know, I mean that I've done that. I've been lucky enough to do that three times and really Holy cow. It is such an experience. And and that's honestly one that going through your bucket list, that's when I didn't, I personally had no idea you could do that. And it, it yeah. is now on my bucket list. I would love to go do that. It is a phenomenal experience. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I, I grew up riding horses, but I'm not a horseman. Um, and it, that's the thing that's great about it is there's those hardcore people who want to drive the bison. Now, let's be honest, you can't really, you know, herd bison. <laughs> right. You just kind of gently encourage them to go. Um, and there's enough of them from the years previous that they know what they're doing and they just kind of do it. But, right. but they also let you know, hey, get off of my back. And I've seen horses charged and bumped and luckily i've not seen any goring but i have seen horses hit by bison mm-hmm. with you know with people on them and um yeah but you know i'm just kind of trailing on the side or on the on the back you know just pushing but i just watching those animals and listening to them and being on the island uh wow it is such an experience and i i you know i had a aunt who she saw the bucket list and she's like i I need to do that. And two years ago, she went out and did it and she that's just, awesome. she loved it. So yeah, there's, and there's things like that and that's not for everybody, but you know what, that's something in, when the year is right. Um, and the bison are cooperative and they stay on the right side of the Island. That's something you can take your family out and sit in your car and watch. Yeah. Um, even if you're not riding, see, and that's my issue is that I'm deathly allergic to horses that. Oh which, yeah. Well, that's not a good combination, which really bums me out. <laughs> Cause I would love to go do something like that. And I, I love, I used to love riding horses, but about 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden I was allergic to horses and that kind of oh, took care of that for me. So, as I'm I, sorry. It's all good. <laughs> so as I was doing research on you, obviously, as we've been talking about, one of the first things that I found was your work on the Utah bucket list. Uh, I'm assuming this was your idea because you say in one of the vignettes that this is your bucket list. This is the thing that most intrigued me. I mean, it's such a great idea. I wish I would have thought of it, but you beat me to it by several years. <laughs> but I would love to produce something like this and go out and film I mean, I guess, and technically I could, because my bucket list would be different than yours, and everybody's bucket list would probably be a little bit different. But even if um, it had the exact same things, even on if it, it did exactly, if it, yeah, if, even if it did have the yeah. exact same thing, I, I still could go do it. How how did that project come about? Where where did the idea stem from? What what created that uh, that project in your mind? How did that form? Um, to be completely honest, it was selfish. Um, <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not news to, to people to know that the, that the, uh, journalism world went through some, and is continuing to go through some massive changes. Um, right. when we started, you know, I, I started to, you know, I, I put together an outdoor section for the Tribune for years. Um, and I was outdoors columnist and editor and and as as i got further along my career i started to get pulled into other directions quite a bit more and um these opportunities for me to go out and experience these amazing parts of utah started to diminish 
and I didn't want to let those go. And so what I started to try to do, and this is something that, um, that I really encourage a lot of, uh, journalists overall, but also just people who, um, want to, um, you know, in today's world, you know, one of the, you know, this multitasking thing is huge and being able to do different things. And one of the things I learned in my um, professional group, the Outdoor Writers Association of America was this idea of diversity. So I, you know, I'd always taken pictures um, during my trips because a photographer cannot always go. I, I was obviously doing the writing. Well, when the, the other parts of things started to come together, like social media and opportunities to do video and stuff like that, then I, then I engaged in those because I wanted to do more. I wanted to make myself more valuable. I wanted to be able to contribute to the newspaper's coverage with social media. Um, and so I just realized at, at a certain point that my opportunity to do these cool stories was fading away. And so I tried to think of something that I could do that would bolster the paper and um, allow me to do more of those kinds of things and get my passion out to other people so that they could experience the same things. And so I came up with the idea of merging TV and, and newspaper. And I shared that idea with um, Ken Verdoya at KUED and over lunch. And he called me the next morning. He said, let's do it. And so I, That's you know, awesome. I got, got the powers that be at the Tribune and KUED together. And I said, here's my plan. And we started putting it together and, and I cherished it. It was, uh, you know, um, it was time that I really needed, you know, for myself personally, like I said, it was selfish, but, but I also felt like I, I've heard from so many people about that. And I still, you know, you know, I still get emails from people who followed me after I left the paper who say, Hey, I crossed another one off and really? thank you, you know, and, and they're sending me ones and they're telling me, Hey, you got to go check this out. You got to put this on your bucket list, you know? And I'm like, Hey, yeah, I do, <laughs> you know? Um, so again, it's selfish. I'm getting all this great information, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was very powerful. Um, and I love the people I worked with at KUED. I made some great friends there. Um, the photographers that I work with at the Tribune loved it because they got to get out on these assignments again. They were being cut back from those things and, and the commitment that we made with the program made it so that we, that we, you know, we had to submit people to come to those things. So, um, it was great. And I got a lot of, um, response from that and that's exactly what I wanted. And so we did two of those series and I could, you know, I could come up, I mean, I think overall we did 25 things. Really? Um, yeah. In between the two series, not all of them were included in the, in the show, but, um, but I could come up with 75 more easy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so let, let's talk about, let's talk about the different things you did as part of this production. I mean, there's specific activities and different destination spots. Tell us about the, I mean, it, obviously we don't, don't have time necessarily to go through all 25 of them and the 75 sure, sure. total, but kind of the ones that stood out the most. And maybe, maybe you could just uh, briefly mention um, a couple of them just by name, but as far as the experiences with other ones that really stood sure. out to you. Sure. So basically what the idea was is to try to make it inclusive um, so that people um, 
who who can't travel or don't travel could still be feel like they were part of it. And so we had things like, you know, the Wildflower Festival up at um, Alta every year. Um, we had um, scenic fall drives, you know, things like that. There's a great opportunity to see bald eagles out at, um, you know, Farmington Bay in, in February that we included on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that where we just wanted to make them a little bit easier. Um, and then we went for some hardcore ones. We, you know... Um, one of my favorites was going up to the Utah Olympic Park and and um, putting on a wetsuit and skis and jumping into the pool, um, which is on my, my bucket list as well. Which you know it was my ten year old son at the time, and it was a great experience for us to do together, and and it was fun, and um, you know the most the, the the most valuable thing and most insulting thing at the same time that I heard when I was doing that was, you know, I'm sitting there, this big giant guy in a wetsuit with skis on, and there's people standing right outside of the facility on the grass and they're looking at me. And this woman turns to her husband and says, see, if that guy can do it, you can do it. You know, but I love that. I love it. You know, it was insulting, but at the same time, it was encouraging. Like, come on, you can do it. And I love that. And that's kind of the thing, like, if I could go and do all these things, then you can too. And and that's really what I wanted to portray. I didn't want it to be some hardcore, I can do anything type of thing. Like, you know, I, there were stumbles and there were, you know, oh, I'm tired. I, this is hard. You know, um, the one that, that stands out is, was probably, and I was the most afraid of, um, before we did it was, um, mountain biking, the white room trail in Canyonlands. It's a hundred miles. Right. And I'm not a mountain, I'm not a bike rider. Um, I'm a big guy and, um, I, it's not just, um, you know, I just, I, I never embraced that as much. I mean, in high school, I, you know, I, I rode my road bike quite a bit, but, but at some point, you know, I, I have done mountain bike stories and I love it. I think it's wonderful way to experience the outdoors, especially in Utah. Um, but I, it's not something that I embrace and I certainly never, ever envisioned that I could ride a hundred miles, um, in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, yeah. And reading your description of it, you had some serious reservations going into that one. Oh yeah. I was, I was, that was, I was very nervous about that. That was the one of all of the things I did that was the most outside of my, my box. Like I, but I, you know what? That's that's why I did it, um, and that's why it was part of the thing was to encourage people to do other things and things outside of their realm, and 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 I loved it. Gosh, it was such a great adventure, and I want to do it again. And which is crazy, uh, you know, because <laughs> it's just a, another unique way to experience Utah, and yeah. and not like there's you know only one way or you know that there's one better way, but it's just another way to do it. And yeah, so that leads me into my next question. So as, as part of this thing, I mean, you went fly fishing on the Green River, you went white water rafting and cataract canyon went to the olympic uh, utah olympic park you went sailing on the great salt lake mm-hmm. um you did all these different things you did the mountain biking and the white room trail um so looking through these different things you did there are a few that i would just absolutely love to do the fly fishing in green river like i talked about the ski jumping the bobsledding at the olympic park sailing on the great salt lake um riding the bison roundup again as we talked about <laughs> Looking back at all these things you did, if I were to say to you, hey, Brad, I have, I've made arrangements and you can get back and go again. Everything's taken care of. Which one of those activities would be the first thing you would Im- immediately jump back into? <laughs> well, that's, you know, um, 
I, it's, I, I fish the green a lot. I, I, I buy a lot, not enough. <laughs> um, I'll be there next week. So, oh, um, that one is kind of like, yeah, that's just a constant. Um, the, uh, you know, um, the white rim is one that I definitely would want to do. And, and, you know, as I've time has progressed and, you know, I, my kids are older now, they could join me on more of these things like a river trip is, you know, and we've been talking about doing this. I have a good friend who's turning 50 next year and he's already like, you got to help me pick a river trip. We're going for my 50th birthday and we, we've mm-hmm. got it all planned out. That's we're doing that. And I'm super excited about that. Um, cause my kids are older. They're, um, you know, I'm not as worried about them in rapids as I was when, you know, they were right. six, seven, eight type right. of thing. So, um, I, that's definitely, on continues to be on my family's bucket list. And, and, you know, I have my bucket list and I have my family's bucket list and I'm lucky that so many of them are, are similar, but there's some things that, yeah, there's, there's some things. So I find more and more that my bucket list is my family's. Um, uh, but that's kind of changing again as I get older kids with one in college now. So, um, but let's see, uh, you know, I, 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 for some reason I, I keep going back to um, one of the trips we did, and this is the one that won the Emmy Awards, was um, a trip we did with Splore, which is a group that provides um, outdoor experiences for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. I had a very, very strong – it was one of the first, like, travel stories, and it was one of the first river trips I ever took back in the early 90s with Splore. And, um, I just, we, we had people with disabilities on the trip and I was changed. You know, you hear the life changing event thing and man, I was changed. Um, and a lot of it was from under, you know, just, you know, we, we, um, there was a guy with cerebral palsy on the, on the trip who I became really dear friends with. And he, um, you know, he loved being on the river and he told me through his machine that talked for him that it, on a raft, everybody had the same disability. We couldn't walk around. We couldn't, we were all together True. on this raft, right? Like, you know, we're in this together type of thing and whatever the, you know, the captain of the boat did was we all had to suffer through. Right. Um, and you know, and I just love that we were the same. And, um, and then the thing that struck me hard was when we got off of the raft and he had a really hard time with his, you know, crutches walking around in the sand and it was, it was hard for mm-hmm. him. And I could see why he liked being on the raft. And so we ended up putting him, um, on our shoulders, um, carrying him like a king to these remote, um, ruins, um, along the San Juan river. And it was the most wow. amazing experience for me to, see those through his eyes and to hear how thankful he was that's a place he never ever could have gone to by himself right and for us to have been the ones that took him there that was really super special for me and it really set a strong bond with me with this organization and other organizations that do similar things for all kinds of people and so i i included a splore trip in one of my um one of the um, bucket list series, and we did the um, the upper part of Colorado that comes in from the Grand Junction area, um, Ruby Horse Thieves, and and went down, uh, you know, 
I, I can't remember. It was a three day trip exactly <laughs> how long it was, but, but that one was super special for the place and the people. And that has, they have a very special, um, hold on my heart. And, and though that's something I will do again, for sure. As a volunteer, um, as far as, you know, the other cataract Canyon is just epic. <laughs> you really yeah. can't beat that. And, you know, uh, the thing is, is this, this bucket list, um, a lot of the things are things that I continue to do. We love to camp in the national parks, as I mentioned. And um, I was just chatting recently with Kate Cannon, who was a um, superintendent of Arches Canyonlands, Natural Bridges and Hovenweep. And she's retired and um, we were talking about Arches and she said she loved the bucket list piece we did on camping in um, Devil's Playground and, mm-hmm. as a family. And so, yeah, I'm, I keep... The answer is I want to do them all again. <laughs> I just hope there's time. But at the same time, I've got all these other things that I want yeah, to do too. Exactly. There's, there's, there's people are sending me other bucket list ideas. So there are things that we will continue to do um, that I'll continue to do that are on the bucket list as, as it's out there. But there's a lot of other opportunities that I really want to get out and experience. Well, I think it's interesting because the first place you mentioned, other than the Green River, the first thing you mentioned was the biking. And sometimes it's much easier to look back at a very challenging experience, especially in the outdoors, and think, oh, man, that was awesome. I would love to do that again. But when you're actually in the middle of it, you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> this is miserable. Why did I decide yeah. to do this? I never right. I never want to do this again. Right. I, I personally have had that experience many times. Um, it, it sounds like that's kind of the experience you had with, with the mountain biking. Cause as you described it, it was something that, um, leading up to it and during it, you're like, man, what have I got, gotten myself into? This is not yeah. comfortable. It's there are those moments where you're, it's hard. And I think there is something in that too. We need to push ourselves. My, um, uh, I, during that splurge trip, there was a, a quote from a guy on the trip, uh, who said, um, if you're, and this is something I've heard in other places too, but if, if you're, um, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Um, and that was my son, uh, my oldest son watched that and he's, that's like his mantra in life now. Um, he, that's, you know, his little tag on his social media stuff. And that's what he believes. And I love that he learned that from that experience, from my experience. And, yeah. and I, I hope that other people did that too. And I think that, you know, overcoming that, I mean, that's part of why, you know, yeah, we love to get to the top of angels landing and look and see how amazing it is. But the sense of accomplishment from getting there is, is probably worth more inherently for us as humans than, than actually seeing right. what the result is. I mean, that's a, that's a momentary thing. And, but you know, your the vision of that will always be with you, but knowing that you did that and you took yourself to that place, that's a different kind of um, emotion that we all have that a lot of people aren't experiencing um, as there's a further and further disconnect with the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, where could, what, um, if people want to go and take a look at your Utah bucket list, where do they need to go? Um, probably, you know, there, there's, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. The Tribune has, a uh, has held on to a, a bucket list, um, page, uh, KUED has a bucket list page. 
uh, I'm not, I don't know that you can still get the DVDs. I think you can. Um, I, I'm, a lot of the stuff that's out there, like on YouTube, isn't the full episode. Right. Um, so they used the, the series as a fundraiser. So, you know, donate now and get this and, um, type of thing. And, um, so I think there probably are still copies and out to the, to them, they would, uh, be able to, to get you some, uh, okay. But um, I, I sent you some links, and hopefully you can share that when you share the podcast. Yeah, yeah with, we'll definitely with, share those. Um, some of those. I don't remember the exact URLs right now, but yeah, that'd be there, there's some opportunities out there. Um, so, and I'll tell you what, if uh, if you wanted to do some kind of a thing, I've got a, you know, I've got I think four or five of the bucket list two DVDs left. I've given away all the the first ones, but I'd be glad to give you a couple if you want to, um, give a couple away. So okay. yeah, that'd just, be awesome. just let me know and, and we can do that. I know people are like a DVD really. <laughs> <laughs> that's we, what I got. <laughs> we still watch them. That's <laughs> we, funny. In fact, yeah. we still watch Disney movies on VHS at times. We still have a VHS player just because certain yep. Disney movies we've got. That's so right. you and I have been talking for about an hour now, and there's still a lot that I would like to cover, sure. including the things that you're involved in now, the organizations that you're working with. So if you're okay with it, I would like to turn this into a two-part episode. We'll That's fine, yeah. We'll continue with our discussion right now, but we'll release this portion of our conversation as part two. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'd like to thank you all for listening today to our discussion with Brett Prettyman, producer and host of the Utah Bucket List. To find out more about the Utah Bucket List, visit pbsutah.org or go to travelutahpodcast.com to find the link under this episode. So thank you, Brett, uh, for taking some time to speak with me today, and we look forward to hearing from you again in part two uh, of this episode. Well, I appreciate being on. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and let's travel Utah. To subscribe or to find out more information on this and other episodes of the Travel Utah Podcast, please visit TravelUtahPodcast.com. The Travel Utah Podcast is a production of Merlin Films, LLC.